in the book of Acts, starting from chapter 6 through to chapter 7, verse 16. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue, of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. He'd leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and after, afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. And later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. 
And then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfil his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did dare not look, did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was to be sent he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honour of what their hands had made. 
But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up to the shrine of Melech and the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, in the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist like the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your father did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through, an a- through angels, but have not obeyed it. The stoning of Stephen. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging out, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had, this, when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. The church persecuted and scattered. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Let's pray. Father God, as we now approach your word, we seek the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to see what you have for us this morning, Lord, that you would convict our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us as we reflect on your provision for your people in helping us to do what you have called us to do. Lord, equip us empower us and enable us to do the mission you have called us to do through the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Have you ever visited an RMS or a Service New South Wales or some other sort of very particular organisation like that and forgotten a piece of paper 
or maybe a bit of information that you needed to get the job done. Have you ever travelled to maybe Wagga or Griffith? And having gone there to do a particular job, only to realise when you get there, you don't have everything you need. Or maybe you've done what I often do, which is do one of those trips and get home and then realise what you should have gotten. It's very frustrating when we make the effort to travel to another town to do a job, only to find out that we, when we get there, we can't do what we intended to do. When that happens, it feels like you've, you've wasted your time and not to mention the fuel getting there. And there's only one thing worse than travelling that distance to find out you can't do what you went to do, and that is having to do it again, do the job you went there to do in the first place. In this life, we all experience times when we don't have everything we need in order to do what we want to do. But even though there are times where we'll experience these frustrations and these times of need, if we have faith in Christ Jesus, we have everything we need to do the mission, our role in the mission that he has given us to do. In today's passage, we read about Stephen. Now, we heard last week that was, this isn't the first time we've heard from Stephen because we heard about him last week. Last week, we, we read about the election of deacons in the early church at Jerusalem. As the seven were listed, Stephen was the very first one to be mentioned. And in that list of seven, Stephen is the only one that Luke makes a specific mention of. In verse 5, Luke points out that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was highly regarded among all the believers. We know this because, well, he was elected as one of those, those deacons. And there was clear evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Verse 8 tells us that Stephen was doing great and wondrous and miraculous signs among the people. And so as we read about this remarkable man of faith and the ways that God was using him, even in the face of death, it's tempting to just jump to the conclusion that there was something special about Stephen, that he was some sort of super Christian, that he had something that the rest of us lack. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we often don't feel as though we're able to serve God in this same kind of radical way. But what we are seeing in these verses is nothing more than the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of somebody who's been forever changed by the good news of Jesus. So if we have faith in Jesus, if we have his spirit at work in our lives and access to his word, despite all of our human limitations, we have everything we need to do what he has called us to do. Now, we know from last week's passage, as I just said, Stephen was one of those who had been appointed to be among the seven, the seven deacons in the early church in Jerusalem. And as one of the seven deacons, his role was to lead the congregation in serving, to encourage unity within the body of Christ, and to support the ministry of the word. 
But here in these verses, Stephen is taking on a very different role. Stephen was performing great wonders and miraculous signs through the power of the Holy Spirit, as well as looking after the practical needs of the congregation. Stephen was out there boldly sharing the hope and the love that he had in Christ Jesus with anyone who would listen. But as Stephen boldly shared the hope he had in Jesus, many of the Jews began to argue with Stephen. Yet as hard as they tried to beat him in an argument or to catch him out in his words, they weren't able to because the Holy Spirit was giving Stephen the words to say. And so these Jews did the same thing, exactly the same thing that they had done to Jesus. They persuaded dishonest men to say all sorts of nasty things about Stephen. And because of these false accusations, Stephen was seized and brought before the same high priest and the same Jewish ruling council who had sentenced Jesus to death on a Roman cross. And as Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin, they brought these false accusations before the council. We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. And this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. While all these false accusations were being brought before this Jewish ruling council, the whole council was looking at Stephen intently, waiting to see what his reaction was going to be. And as they looked at Stephen, what they saw was quite remarkable. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It's hard to say exactly what that would have looked like. Some scholars suggest that his face may have shone just like Moses' face shone after he'd been in the presence of God. But whatever his face looked like in that moment, it was clear that it was evident to this Jewish ruling council that God's presence was on Stephen. But because of their anger, they simply refused to recognize what they could plainly see with their own eyes. So the priest asked him, are these charges true? Which gave Stephen a whole other opportunity to share the hope he has in Jesus. Now, Stephen gave his response to these false charges. He began to tell them their own well-accepted and well-known Jewish history. These Jewish religious leaders would have been happy and agreeing with a fair chunk of what he said. In fact, this speech reminds me a lot of the time that the prophet Nathan went to go and speak to King David. When Nathan confronted David about his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of his husband, her, her husband, Uriah. Nathan told a parable that had David all churned up, but he wasn't upset with Nathan. He was agreeing. He was going, yes, there has been a misjustice done right up until Nathan flipped the lid and showed David that he was the one who had perpetrated that misjustice. 
But back then, when David heard Nathan's words, he was cut to the heart and he went away and cried out to the Lord for mercy. However, sadly, in this passage, when confronted by the guilt of their sins, these Jewish religious leaders sadly don't make that same kind of response. In his speech, Stephen speaks about how God called Abraham and set him aside, promising to make his descendants into a great nation. He spoke about how he sovereignly used Joseph to deliver God's people from famine. And then again, sovereignly used Moses to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. And so as these Jewish religious leaders were listening on, well, they probably were sitting there nodding and agreeing. This was their own history. These are all things that they would have agreed with. There was nothing radical about what he was saying at this point. But then Stephen quotes Deuteronomy 18 saying, this is the same Moses who told the Israelites that God will send a, send you a prophet like me from your own people. And without saying it, Stephen's implying that Jesus is that prophet. Then a little bit later, Stephen quotes Isaiah 66 saying, the most high does not live in houses made by men. Again, without saying it, Stephen was implying that the temple is no longer the place of God's presence here on earth. You can imagine at this point, the Jewish council are starting to, starting to get a bit suspicious. They probably stopped nodding and smiling. They're probably waiting for Stephen to cross that line. And Stephen, well, he doesn't disappoint, does he? There's no holding back in his words. In verse 51, Stephen reveals the ugly truth very clearly to them, just like the prophet Nathan had done to David when he declared, you are that man. Stephen hits hard. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. Up until these words, these Jews would have been listening on intently, agreeing with most, if not all, of what he said. But as Stephen pointed out their guilt, that the law that they claimed to follow had not affected their hearts, that they were the descendants of those who had killed the prophets, that they had followed in their forefathers' footsteps by killing Jesus, the righteous one. When they heard these words, they were furious and began to gnash their teeth at him. Not sure exactly what that would look like, but clearly they were growling at him. When Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and in what appears to have been a vision, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When his accusers heard these words, they covered their ears and began to yell at the top of their voices, 
just like little children who stick their fingers in their ears and go, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. They weren't willing to hear another word that he had to say. And in their rage, without having there been, there was no formal investigation, no declaration of guilt, no attempt to get the approval of the Romans. All things that had to happen before Jesus went to the cross. They dragged him out of the city and unlawfully began to stone him to death. Before they began to throw a stone, they first laid their coats at the foot of a young man named Saul. According to what's called rabbinic history or Jewish tradition, it was the one who was condemned who was to have his coat stripped off him. But here we see those who are accusing him, those who are throwing the stones, laying their coats at the foot of Saul. By recording this detail, Luke seems to be pointing out to us that even though Stephen was the one being stoned, those who were doing this unlawful and murderous thing were the ones who were condemned. While Stephen was being stoned, he fell to his knees and prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then just as Jesus had prayed while he was up on the cross, Father, forgive them. Stephen prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after he'd said these words, this godly and wise follower of Jesus died and went to be with his saviour. But this murderous group were not satisfied by the blood of Stephen. They continued to persecute the church, causing all the believers, except the apostles, possibly because of fear of the apostles, because of all the miraculous signs that they had performed, to be scattered. All the believers were scattered except for the apostles. But not only that, they were also being hunted down and many were dragged off to prison by a zealous young Pharisee named Saul. Just as everything seemed to be falling apart for the early church, God was using these circumstances to spread the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea and to the ends of the earth. Because the good news of Jesus cannot be stopped. There's no doubt that God was using Stephen in a very special way at a very integral point in the life of the early church. Up until this point, the church was the church in Jerusalem. But because of Stephen's faithfulness to Christ unto death, the good news of Jesus was beginning to spread. New churches would soon be established and the gospel was going out to places that it never would have had the believers remained in their comfortable, holy huddle in Jerusalem. God had used, his, used Stephen to play his part in the mission that he had given his church. And while Stephen's role in the mission was now over, his legacy was only just beginning to grow, to grow in the lives of those whom he'd encouraged in the Lord throughout his life. 
Stephen's one of these very, very rare examples in Scripture of believers in the Bible where we don't get to see the human side, where we don't get to see the mistakes they make along the way. And that's probably because he was martyred before he had the opportunity. Given that we don't hear anything about the fallen humanness of Stephen, it's easy for us to dismiss his example and to think to ourselves, we could never be like that. The truth is that if we have faith in Christ Jesus, we have everything we need in order to be able to radically live for Christ and to play our part in the mission that he has given his church to do. None of us are called to fulfill Stephen's role in God's mission for the church, but that's okay because Stephen wasn't called for our role in God's mission. All those who have faith in Christ Jesus have roles in the mission that God has given his church to do, to share the good news of Jesus and to make disciples. And sometimes fulfilling that role will be costly. Jesus warns in John 15 where he says, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Now, here in Australia, I think it's extremely unlikely that playing our part in God's mission will cost us our lives. But our parts in God's mission, well, they may have financial implications for us. There's potential for it to cost us relationships. And it may at times make us social outcasts in some circumstances. But fulfilling our role in the mission that God has given his church to do is worth any cost. It was worth it to Stephen, even though it cost him his life. He didn't flinch in the face of death, but he continued to trust the Spirit and God's promise unto death. So even though Stephen died at a fairly young age, his life was not in vain. He didn't spend his life making himself comfortable. He didn't waste years of his life chasing after things that would only fade away. He invested his life in the mission that God has given his church to do. Every believer who follows Jesus has a role to play. Because of Stephen's role, because of the way that he served Christ, He made an impact in the lives of his fellow believers. Along with every believer who heard and believed the good news of Jesus outside of Jerusalem. His short life brought eternal hope to countless number of followers. You and I are not called to be Stephen. But we are each called to step out of our comfort zones and to fulfill the roles that Christ has given us in his mission of sharing the good news of Jesus. Maybe your role in this season of life is to visit somebody who's lonely, who just needs someone to talk to, so that you might gain an opportunity to be a light for Christ to them. Maybe your role in this season of life is to be a mother 
or a father or a grandparent and share the hope you have in Christ Jesus with those children around you. Maybe your role in this season of life is to be a Christian farmer, a Christian employee or or club or committee member so that you might gain an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Whatever your role in this season of life is, in the mission that God has given his church to do, with faith in Jesus, we have everything we need to do what he's called us to do. We can trust his Holy Spirit and be willing to step out of our comfort zone to fulfill our part in sharing the good news of Jesus in whatever way God has prepared for each of us. Let's pray. Father God, it is so evident to us when we search our hearts that we are not able in our own strength to do what you have called us to do. It's so evident to us, if we're honest with ourselves, that we all fall short of your glory. But Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us not to trust in our abilities, not to trust in who we are, but to trust in who you are, to trust in your faithfulness to your promises and to trust in the power of your spirit to give us the words and to guide us so that we might do what you have called us to do. Lord, help us not to waste our lives, but to live lives that serve an eternal purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.